in-depth, investigative. This is KXAN News. The U.S. House has a new speaker and can finally get back to the urgent business that's been on hold for more than three weeks. Thanks for joining us. I'm Daniel Marin. And I'm Britt Moreno. Speaker Mike Johnson of Louisiana is the first from that state to serve in the role. Alice Barr tells us why Republicans picked him. As duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. A break in the logjam at last as House Republicans finally unite to elect a new Speaker, Mike Johnson of Louisiana. The challenge before us is great, but the time for action is now, and I will not let you down. The decision that fell entirely along party lines means the House can move ahead with urgent business after three weeks of speakerless paralysis. Known as a staunch conservative, Speaker Johnson was elected to Congress in 2016 and was previously fifth-ranked in House GOP leadership. Having never chaired a full committee, he is the least experienced speaker in modern history, but is well-liked among his Republican colleagues. He has united all of our members to speak clearly and boldly on behalf of the American people. A friend to all and an enemy to none. Personal animus helped topple Kevin McCarthy from the speaker's job and torpedo the runs of the past three nominees. Former President Trump's influence a major factor. He came out strongly for Johnson. He's smart, he's sharp, he's going to be fantastic. But Democrats who all voted for minority leader Hakeem Jeffries criticized Johnson as an architect of Mr. Trump's legal efforts to overturn the 2020 election. House Democrats believe that when members of this body voted to reject the results of the 2020 election, they forfeited their ability to lead this chamber. Speaker Johnson now faces the true work of governing with pressing issues on the line, funding for Israel and for Ukraine. He has opposed the latter and a race to prevent a government shutdown next month. In Washington, Alice Barr, NBC News. And Speaker Johnson talked a lot about restoring the American public's faith in Congress. He promised to stand for integrity and being a good steward of taxpayer dollars. And he sent a message to enemies of freedom around the world that the People's House is back in business. Turning to the Israel-Hamas war now, diplomats in Qatar say talks with Hamas about the release of more hostages held in Gaza are starting to progress. The Wall Street Journal reports Israel has agreed to delay the ground attack to allow U.S. troops to position nearly a dozen air defense systems in place to protect American forces in that region. Over 200 hostages remain in Gaza right now. More aid trucks rolled across the border with Egypt today, but the problem continues to be fuel. Many of the hospitals say they will be running out of fuel by the end of today, and they may have to shut things down. First warning weather with meteorologist Nick Bannon. Another day we get to watch the radar and check for more rain moving through. Beneficial rain that could become problematic. Right now, we're mostly dry along I-35 and into our eastern counties where we've only had a few spotty showers move through, brief downpours as well. But the main activity of tonight and eventually tomorrow is moving into the hill country now in Mason, San Saba, western Gillespie County. This widespread cluster of downpours and storms will slowly move east through the night, and I mean really slowly, that rainfall amounts could add up to several inches 
and in the hill country we do have a flood watch through tonight and through tomorrow these are the areas most likely to get some middle of the night flash flooding that could continue into the morning commute tomorrow for the rest of us where we haven't had as much rain temperatures are in the low to mid 80s and it is rather humid rain chances do slowly rise as we head through tonight Mostly for the hill country, though, aside from a stray shower or storm elsewhere, temperatures dropping into the 70s. Coming up in first warning weather, we'll track the flash flooding threat that actually continues well through the day tomorrow. Updates on how much rain and then the coldest highs since February. All right, Nick, thank you very much. Today, jurors heard from law enforcement on the scene of a deadly police shooting back in 2020. A jury will decide whether Austin police officer Christopher Taylor is guilty of murder in the shooting death of Michael Ramos. KXAN's Grace Reader is live outside the courtroom once again tonight with today's developments. Grace? Most of the testimony today came from Austin police officers who were on scene with Christopher Taylor during that shooting back in 2020. The state had them walk through their actions that day, including them stopping to plan how to approach Mike Ramos. Officers said they knew Ramos's vehicle had been involved in criminal activity previously, which is why one officer said they approached this like a high-risk traffic stop. The jury then saw body camera video from several officers, including one who testified he was closest to Ramos and his vehicle during the interaction. We also heard this morning from a woman who took video of the incident from her window. The video shown in court was only a few seconds and did not show much as she had a dark screen covering that window. There were some really tense moments today between prosecutors and the officer in charge of this scene back in 2020. We're going to have details for you on that coming up tonight on KXAN News at 6. Back to you. Thank you for staying on top of that, Grace. The Texas Supreme Court heard arguments this morning in a major religious liberty case, and this could determine whether a Texas judge has the right to refuse to marry same-sex couples. Our Ryan Chandler heard the arguments and joins us from the Texas Supreme Court with the details. Well, this case is yet another example of the legal tug of war between religious liberty and gay rights. It centers around a Waco area justice of the peace who for years refused to officiate marriages for same-sex couples. The State Commission on Judicial Conduct disciplined her, saying she discriminated against a group of Texans in violation of her oath to uphold impartial justice. She argues Texas's religious freedom laws allow her to adhere to her faith while practicing as a judge, both sides making their case in the high court. She has chosen to discriminate between some folks in the state of Texas in favor of other people. And it flies in the face of impartiality. It's not unconstitutional to believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and for that view, for your belief to come from the Bible. And it also shouldn't disqualify you from being an elective office or from being a judge. And the lawyers tell me they hope this case is resolved by the end of this court's term in June. At the Texas Supreme Court, I'm Ryan Chandler. Back to you. All right, Ryan, thank you very much. And last year, a U.S. judge ruled that Kim Davis, a former county clerk from Kentucky, knowingly violated the rights of same-sex couples by denying them marriage licenses back in 2015. Davis cited her religious beliefs and briefly went to jail for contempt of court. 
The judge ruled states must grant same-sex marriages and recognize those of other states, but Davis repeatedly refused to issue marriage licenses, despite a letter from the governor instructing all county clerks to do so. The Alaska Airlines pilot who tried to shut off engines mid-air entering his plea in court, what he's charged with and what he's saying about what happened. Plus an update on the manhunt in Nashville for the police chief's estranged son, where and how he was found. The estranged son of Nashville's police chief who was on the run after allegedly shooting two police officers has been found dead. Police say he shot himself. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation says John Drake Jr. caused a self-inflicted gunshot wound after stealing a car at gunpoint, leading police on a chase and hiding in an outbuilding. Drake had been on the run since Saturday when he shot two officers during a traffic stop. Those officers were responding to a report of a stolen car both survived and are out of the hospital. We now know the victim and the suspect in a Travis County murder over the weekend. Deputies arrested 32-year-old George Nolden from Waco. He's charged with the murder of 29-year-old Nahian Wright from Colleen. Now, just before midnight on Sunday, Nolden flagged down deputies on Wells Branch Parkway. Investigators say they found the victim with gunshot wounds in the back of a parked car. He died at the hospital. Now, we're still waiting to find out what exactly happened and how the two knew each other. Well, Texas is losing out on a large chunk of money due to an even larger issue. The problem's getting child care in our state and what's being done to fix it. Even with a lot of clouds around here today, temperatures still managed to get above normal. 85 in Austin and we even picked up a little bit of rain. Believe it or not, we're above normal for the month and more is on the way. We'll show you how much just comes tonight alone in First Morning Weather. We could be losing billions of dollars as a state because of a growing child care issue. A new report shows things could be getting worse, impacting more than just families with small children. Our Jayla Washington explains. Life with three young kids is nothing short of an adventure for Kiri Mars. But behind the laughs and smiles of raising her growing family. It was impossible to find any kind of childcare, and especially ones that I could afford. She finally found a place, but was driving further than she'd like for it. It was setting her back about a thousand bucks monthly. It seems like it hasn't improved and simply gotten worse. And it has, according to a new report from a bipartisan nonprofit called Ready Nation Texas. It says Texas's childcare workforce is now 12% smaller than it was before the pandemic. Many providers had to close their doors permanently, and too many of those that did reopen did so at reduced capacity. Access, affordability, and quality are factors playing a role in what Ready Texas calls a child care crisis. And it found insufficient child care for kids under age three specifically is costing parents an estimated $78 billion, businesses $23 billion, and taxpayers $21 billion. The underfunding of child care in the state is impeding parents' ability to stay in the workforce. Some proposed solutions. Asking the legislature to invest in the early childhood workforce with reimbursement rates that are true to care cost. Paying child care providers based on quality and not what families can afford to pay, among other things. We're trying to survive and provide the best the best growing environment for our children. Jayla Washington, KXAN News. And Ready Nation Texas hopes new data from its report will help people better understand the need for more childcare funding in Texas. 
Now, the legislature did pass a property tax cut for child care providers last session. That's currently before voters. It's prop number two on the November 7th ballot. In August, the Texas Association for the Education of Young Children conducted a survey to learn how the ending of the federal relief funding was going to affect Texas child care. It got over 1,800 responses from licensed child care facilities. 26% of child care programs reported they are likely to close. 31% of child care programs reported they're likely to stay open without additional funding. And 43% are just not sure if they'll close or not. Child care in Texas is something KXAN investigator Arzo Dost continues to dig into. Under this story on KXAN.com, find data on child population operations, affordability, and so much more. All right, we have Nick in for David this evening as we gear up for a lot more rain. Yes. Oh, yeah, and plenty to come tonight in the Hill Country, and the Metro gets in on the heavier rain as we head through the day tomorrow. Right now, we're actually reasonably calm with a little bit of blue sky trying to show itself there from our KXAN West Shore home camera here on West Campus looking toward downtown. A warm 80 degrees. We shouldn't be out of the 70s this time of year. Here is our focus over the next 24, 36 hours or so, and it's primarily for localized flash flooding, mainly in the hill country, but even into the metro, we could get some spots four inches or greater of rainfall here. There's a much lower concern for some very isolated damaging wind, and we're really not too worried about the tornado or hail threat. The risk isn't zero, but it is very low at this point. This is the line, the wall of water that's going to be slowly moving eastward this evening, overnight, and during the day tomorrow. And as it moves so slowly, it's going to produce a lot of rainfall in the areas that it almost parks itself. Right now, that's in the Hill Country, San Saba, Mason, and western Gillespie counties getting the more widespread rain. Out ahead of it, we're still going to see some spotty showers form, but nothing as continuous as what is happening in the Hill Country right now. I chose the model that is best reflecting what's happening now. And taking it into the future here at 7, still the vast majority of the downpours and storms are in Gillespie, Mason, and San Saba, but maybe even a little bit of Llano County getting in on that and still ahead of it, just a couple of spotty showers. The downpours and storms will continue to be most widespread through midnight in the hill country, even though the rain chances pick up a little bit in our eastern counties and the metro. Even past midnight, the majority of the activity still in the hill country, which is why our flash flooding concerns are highest there. But we think as we head into the morning commute tomorrow after 5 a.m., those downpours and storms start to make themselves more widespread in the metro and then eventually our eastern counties as we head through the middle of the day and into the afternoon. Things do start to dry out in the afternoon in the Hill Country, not as widespread of a rain anyway, but still there's going to be an ongoing chance for rain even into tomorrow evening. Don't take these forecast rainfall numbers verbatim, but I want to give you the general sense here that we could get some four, five, six inch plus rainfall amounts in the Hill Country uh, into Friday morning, but most of this coming tonight and tomorrow morning. For the metro and our eastern counties, I think one to three inches is going to be the most widespread amounts that you see with localized higher amounts. But any places that get four, five, six inch rainfall amounts in just 24 hours, we could get some localized flash flooding. That's where the flash flooding risk is at its highest, a three out of four for most of the Hill Country. That drops to a two out of four for say the eastern hill country toward portions of the metro but for austin specifically and really most of the metro counties a one out of four flash flooding threat tonight 
Rain coverage rises to 70% tonight, overnight lows of 72, and it peaks at 90% tomorrow. It'll be especially wet tomorrow morning, but the rain will slowly come to an end late tomorrow afternoon and into the evening. Still the flash flood, uh, flood, flash flood threat during the day tomorrow is elevated for the metro and our eastern counties where it is a two out of four. So we've got to be flash flood ready tonight and tomorrow. Never drive through flooded streets, of course. Still scattered showers and storms expected Friday. Saturday looks like a drier day, lower rain chances. And then as our next cold front comes in late Sunday, rain chances jump up to 40% Sunday and 50% Monday. But look how those temperatures plummet from 79 Sunday to just 50 on Monday. 54 for Halloween Tuesday, looking drier with a, only a 20% rain chance and no rain in the forecast finally by Wednesday. All right, Nick, thank you very much. The off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot accused of trying to take down a plane pleaded not guilty as we learn new details about his state of mind at the time. Joseph Emerson is charged with 83 counts of attempted murder, 83 counts of reckless endangerment, one count of endangering an aircraft, and he's also charged with a federal crime of interfering with a flight crew. Emerson is currently on suicide watch. FBI and police affidavits say Emerson claimed he was suffering from a mental emergency as he flew in the cockpit's jump seat. The documents state he told the pilots, quote, I'm not okay when he grabbed fire suppression handles to try and shut down the plane's engines. Witnesses say he then walked to the back of the plane where he told a flight attendant, quote, you need to cuff me right now. The documents say Emerson added that he hadn't slept for 40 hours and had taken psychedelic mushrooms 48 hours before the flight, adding that he had been depressed for six years and had recently lost a friend. Many are getting ready for the Texas BYU game this weekend, but others are getting ready to give back. The different kind of tailgate BYU is bringing to Austin. Tonight, 2024 independent presidential candidate Cornell West joins Chris Live to talk college campus protests. Then Rich McHugh reveals a scathing new report on government handling of the East Palestine disaster. Tonight on Cuomo. Then, Brian Koberger is back in court tomorrow with his defense planning a major motion to dismiss the Idaho murders charges. But will it work? Brian Inton gives us an in-depth look tonight on Banfield. Right now, after three weeks of vote wrangling and drama, Republicans elect an unlikely new Speaker of the House will introduce you to him. Plus, the NTSB investigates a collision between two small jets in Texas. What they know so far tonight. With the Longhorns set to face off against Brigham Young University's Cougars on Saturday, the Utah-based school is bringing a new kind of tailgating to Central Texas. BYU's Austin Alumni Chapter is helping coordinate a holiday toy drive in partnership with the Travis County Sheriff's Office's Brown Santa Program. Alums hope to collect 2,000 toys for Central Texas kids this weekend. It is part of a greater university effort to collect food donations and host clothing toys and literacy drives at each of BYU's away games and it's already having a ripple effect it is uh, not competition but the best compliment that you can imagine is a copying someone copying your ideas and um, what we have loved to see is some of these other schools within the big 12 is is them picking up some of these things that we're doing um, and, and doing it in their own way 
Along with this weekend's toy drive, BYU's Austin chapter is planning to deliver 40,000 pounds of food to area food drives and the Brown Santa program next month. Find out how to donate under digital reporter Kelsey Thompson's story over at KXAN.com. Coming up tonight on KXAN, it's Quantum Leap at 7, then Magnum PI at 8, followed by Chicago PD at 9. Then we're back with KXAN News at 10. Or you can join us an hour earlier for KXAN News at 9 over on CW Austin. Here's where to find us.